Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. You could just sit right there. We'll just make sure that mic works nice and good. I'm fighting some allergies, so I just want to make sure I can preach to you the whole word, okay? So he's going to help me out. That's an old school way of doing it. If you have never been a part of a service where there's a reader, get ready. It's going to be exciting. You guys ready? Okay. Go ahead, my brother. Read Colossians chapter 1, 28 and 29, please. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Amen. That was 29. Can you read 28 and 29 together, please? Yes, sir. Yep. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Amen. Now let's read that in the King James, and tell me if you notice a key word that changes because that's the title of today's message. This is uh, a series that I've been in, and I was, man, I thought we were done. And I thought this week I was going to go through a book of the Bible. And let me just tell you what it is. It's Hebrews. By God's grace, next week we're going through Hebrews verse by verse. So if you can, go ahead and read it on your own. But brother, go ahead and read Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29 in the King James now. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Amen. Now, what word did you notice was different? One started with an M and one started with a P. Perfect was in the what version? King James. And what was the M word in? What was that? Mature. And what version was that in? NIV, go back just so they can see it on both tabs, please. Why, why do I want you to see that? Because so often people get the word perfect confused in the Bible, and they think it just means mature. The translator, I don't think, is intentionally doing something wrong, but I think that it is wrong. The King James did it right. Maturity is not perfection. In other words, you can grow up and still never become perfect. You can never become perfect in your behavior. You can grow up your whole life and still be as dumb as you were when you were a teenager and as wicked as you were. I know people that are my age in their 40s, and they're just as wicked as they were when they were teenagers, but they have mature bodies. Do you guys get what I'm saying there? So the King James is very clear that Paul the Apostle, the one talking there, wants to present everybody, and show it in the King James, please, wants to present everybody perfect in Christ Jesus. That's today the message, perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, is perfection something that you and I can do on our own? You can't do it. So the standard is high. It doesn't get any higher than perfect. So I'm, if I tell you right now, please open up Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You think you can do that? Like on your own, can you do it? No. But does that mean the standard changes? Would you read it for me, please, brother? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay. Any questions, class? I mean, it is what it is, right? It says what it says. So now, because you and I can't do that on our own, are we supposed to lower the standard and say, that's not what God expects anymore? No, you and I are supposed to figure out how does that come to pass. How do I... As a sinner, let's say before I became a Christian, how do I obey that and become perfect as my heavenly Father's perfect? How do I do that? Well, that's what the Bible teaches us, how to do that. Go to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and let's raise him up a little bit, and then you raise up a little bit, all right? Match me as a preacher. I know you're a preacher, right? You see how I'm kind of preaching right now, even though my voice is out? I, I don't want this to be a library book reading class, right? This is not, uh, you know, reading hour. This is preaching hour. So you're going to be able to help me out, young man? Amen. Okay. Read this out for me. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the there you new go. creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. That sounds about right, doesn't it? He got the right tone. Now let's help him do it today. Amen. Say, say do it, preacher. He's going to help me preach. Now notice what it says there. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, the new creation has come. There's the solution to the problem. I can't do perfect unless I am first born again, made perfect. And the Bible promises me I can do that. So now the command to be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect is no longer just an ideal, a wish, something that I'm going to say, well, no one can ever do. Now there's an expectation. Now I need to be born again, a new creation. 
And when I'm born a new creation, do I keep some of the old junk in my life? According to the Bible, the old has what? The old has gone. So if people are saying that they're Christians and that they've been saved, but you don't see them living different, the first question we need to ask them is, what are you saved from, baby? Come on, I'm going to bring it back to the south. I live in New Orleans, y'all. You with me? I'm going to bring some of that fire, yeah, yeah. Y'all with me? I'm going to put some Cajun spice on it right now. You saved. What you saved from? What you say? Well, you say you're saved. What are you saved from? You ain't saved from your attitude. I still see it. You're not saved from your sin with the boyfriend, girlfriend. I still see it. You're not saved from your debaucherous lifestyle. I still see you. You went to the club and acted a fool. You're right. So it's a great question to ask people. If you're saved, what are you saved from? Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says what we're saved from. The old you was a sinner. The old you was naughty. You were naughty by nature. Anybody ever hear that band before that? That group? Naughty by nature. That's how we were. But if we get born again and all the old has passed away and now everything is new, I don't have that nature anymore. I have a new nature. Read in verse 1. Pause after each verse. And let me preach a little bit with you, preacher. Come on now. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Look at that. You were dead. I was dead. In transgressions and sins. There's no way around that. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. We're going to read that today in Romans if we get a chance. That's why I'm reviewing right now because i got to get to Romans chapter 6. That's what extended this series because I couldn't, by God's grace, end it without touching on Romans 6, which had not come up. But these things you have heard if you've been with us. So you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And that death doesn't mean extinction. It means separation from God. So when Adam and Eve died that day in the Garden of Eden, that didn't mean they went extinct. Otherwise, you know, the serpent would have been right because he says, you're not going to die if you eat of this. And then they eat of it and they don't die. And it's like, well, that liar was telling the truth. No, he wasn't because what died that day was their spiritual nature. The New Testament explains it to us. This is how death works. First, it works spiritually. Then it comes physically. The only reason why we die physically is because we die spiritually. We're not connected to the tree of life. We're not connected to the Holy Spirit. That's why children, as innocent as they are from moral sin, children are still born with sinful bodies, sinful natures, because it came down from Adam and Eve. That's why they can be sick and die, and that's sorrowful to us. We know that's not right. Why does that happen? Because their nature has been tainted from Adam and Eve. So not only did death come to Adam and Eve, death came to everyone after them. Now you might say it's unfair for a child to die. Well, that child is a part of the human race. God could have allowed that child to have been created for hell. Those are your two options. A child born in hell or a child has a short life and goes to heaven. Which one do you think is better? Think about it. A child's short life or a child gets born in hell. What would you rather have, eternity in hell or a short life? I would rather have a short life than eternity in hell. Everybody tracking with me? You all look confused. I'm going to say it to you again. What would you rather have? Just think about it. Because people like to accuse our God of being a baby killer. Oh, you're, you guys are against abortion, but your God kills babies every day. Handicapped children, all of this. See, y'all got to come to church ready to learn. Don't come here just looking for a, a, a story from the Bible. You got to come here to learn. When you look at the scripture, what does the Bible say happens to children when they die? Whether they're young, as, as infants, in the womb, a sickness later on, all the way up until their age of accountability. What does the Bible say about children? The kingdom of heaven, what? Belongs to them. So God in his fairness towards children who couldn't have a choice of heaven and hell, if they die before their age of accountability for their own time to confess sins, they get to go to the kingdom of heaven, right? So now people want to come back on us and say, well, if death has come now even upon innocent children, your, get, your God's a bad God, then I give them this ultimatum. Do you want our God to put them in hell for eternity or let them live a short life and be in heaven? You see, the short life is not their fault. And when their soul dies, they go back to their creator. Now, people have different discussions about what happens to them. Do they come back into kingdom to come? Are they brought back into another body during this time? Not reincarnation. But do they get a chance to live again? Those are discussions that we have as theologians because we don't know what happens to them. All we know is that when they die, they go to heaven. The king, all nations, all different ethnic groups, they go to heaven. So we don't have to worry about our God being a bad God. But here was his other option, which nobody else wants to talk about, which is 
create the whole human race in hell. Imagine that. You come to know yourself in hell. Now think of the first memory you have. First memory I have is weird. Y'all ready for a weird first memory of your pastor? Strawberry patch on the side of the house with my mom. Probably in diapers, I think. And you know what I was trying to get away with that day? Was pooping on the grass. I told you it was going to be a weird memory. That's as far back as I can go. And I remember my mom saying, you did this. And then I lied to her and I said, no, a dog did it. That's the earliest memory I have. I had to be about Titus's age. This is my Titus right there. Titus, how old are you? You're four years old. That's probably about as young as I was trying to get away with pooping. Sorry to make this discussion. I'm just being honest with you. On the side of my parents' house in the strawberry patch. Okay. That's my first memory. The youngest I can go. What's yours? You know, if we went around the room, everybody would have theirs. But let me ask you a question. Would it have been fair of God to have put you right in hell? Yes, it would have. Don't say no. You wouldn't have wanted it, but it would have been fair. Why would it have been fair? Because you came from Adam and Eve, those traitors. Now you might say, well, Adam and Eve, they did it, not me. Do you think God's going to take six billion years to give each one of you a chance to figure it out, waste his time? You know what you're going to find out is all of us will sin eventually. So Adam and Eve, you go first. Okay, drop door. They go right to hell. Bro, you come next. Let's see how long you last in the garden. This one lasts about 20 minutes, angels. Drop next down. See, God could have played that out, but God's not going to waste time. When God made Adam and Eve, he said, this is my best. This is my best, and they sin against me. Now think about this. You've been on this planet longer than Adam and Eve were before they fell, and how many times you sin? God don't even have to restart it every time. He can already point to you if you were to get an attitude with him, and say, you already sinned. You are not going to do any better. So now, is it not his right as our God to create all of Adam and Eve's progenitors, all of, their, uh, all of their offspring in hell? Could he have done it and been right and been a holy God? Yes, he could have. But he didn't. His mercy outweighed his wrath. So now we may be born sinners and have sin upon our body. That does not mean, as the disciples asked, who sinned? The man was born blind. Who sinned? This man? They believed in reincarnation. This man or his parents? That's superstitious. But I'm supernatural. Everybody say, I'm supernatural. Amen. Don't let people get you with superstition. Tell them you're supernatural. That's another discussion. They got superstitious. Did parents sin or did this man sin in a past life? Some of the Jews believed in reincarnation. And Jesus said, no, this was for the glory of God to be revealed. Brothers and sisters, the only reason why we're in a world that has a choice of good and evil, and you and I are actors in God's play, never get it twisted. He's the director. The only reason that's happening is because out of his good pleasure, he's given you a chance to come be with him. You could say, I don't like it. You could say, I don't like being here. It's over. You're here now. You don't get a choice in that. So anytime somebody wants to point a finger at God and say, well, I never asked to be in your play, that's right. He's God, you're not. Deal with it. Unless now you want to deny your own existence, then who am I talking and arguing with? Right? Well, I don't want to exist, so I'm going to wish that I don't exist. Okay, does wishing yourself not to exist mean you don't exist? No, I mean you still exist. Who's the one wishing now? The one that exists, right? You can't not exist anymore. Now, you could try to get, back, get back at God, get mad at God. Suicide is a thing that people often do with anger towards God, anger towards others. If you've read Suicide Notes before or studied it, suicide is often done out of unresolved anger and hatred to punish those they're leaving behind. Not all, but many. I'll show you. What does someone who commits suicide experience the next moment? Hell. You haven't won. You didn't trick God. You didn't get out of this. I'm not talking about accidental suicide. I'm not talking somebody didn't mean to do. I'm talking about the people in their heart. I want to take my life. The Bible says that's murder. You murdered yourself. You didn't give yourself your life. What's my life? I'll do whatever I want with it. Who told you that? You made life? Do it again then. You made you? Do another one. I want to see another one just like you. Go right now. Ready, set, go. You can't. So you're borrowing life, amen? You're borrowing God's planet. You're borrowing God's resources. But what does he say about that? All of us are already zombies. 
the walking dead, separated from God. Verse 2, please. In which you used to live. When Come on, you preach it. In which you used to there live you go. when you followed the ways of this world and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now you notice the devil can only work in those who are what? Disobedient. The devil can't make you do anything no more than God can make you do something. If God could make you do it, you would have been at church since you've been born. You never would have sinned if God could make you do it, right? And the same is true. If the devil could make you do it, you would have killed everybody in traffic on the way here. If the devil could make you do it, you would have already snorted up every drug on the street. You would be tricking right now somewhere to get more of it. Come on, somebody. You would be out there. But you hear, so both of them have to play by the rule of the free will of mankind. And who made that rule? God did. So God doesn't get to break his own rule. He set it up. Now, some people get into the discussion of Calvinism that God doesn't abide by that. It's only his will that counts. That's a different discussion. We've dis discussed that here, and I can explain why I don't see that as Scripture. The choose you this day Scriptures really show me that we do have a free will. But God's will, everybody get this, gave me a free will. So in that sense, the Calvinist is right. If God never wanted to give me a choice, I wouldn't have a choice. So God giving me a choice was his choice. Now that he gave me the choice, what did he say? He will not invade that choice and make it happen. He told them, go to Deuteronomy 28, please. You choose. I'll set before you the two options, but you choose. Everybody say, I got to make a choice. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1, please. Look at verse 1 and read it out loud, preacher. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. See, in the next verse, please, verse 2. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Amen. Now scroll on down and see what the curses are about. Scroll on down. Keep going because after this comes the curses. Now look at verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. Any questions? Pretty clear. So is it God's choice? No, it was God's choice to give us a choice, but whether or not blessings or curses come on you is your choice. And before you get lost in the old covenant, which these are 613 laws they had to abide by, and we now abide by the new covenant laws, which are the two greatest ones, love God and love people, and everything after that. Before you get lost in that, understand both covenants have laws, and those covenants with those laws are your choice to keep. Go to 1 John chapter 5, please. 1 John chapter 5, new covenant. Everybody say new covenant. Say I'm a new covenant Christian. Look at your neighbor and say, I can eat bacon if I want. Amen. You can eat bacon if you want, but you can't murder if you want. That stays the same in old and new. The morals stay the same. It's the cultural laws that change. That's a good way to remember. In the Old Testament, there were moral laws, but then there were also civil laws, cultural laws, dietary laws, ceremonial laws, and so forth. The moral laws always remain the same. It's the cultural and civil and religious laws that have been fulfilled in Christ. Now go to chapter 5, verse 1. And please read it all the way down to verse 5 from you. are doing great. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Amen. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Amen. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even, even our, our faith. faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. So do we got commands in the New Testament? Yeah, we do. And we have to obey them. Should they be a burden to us? No. The Bible says, thou shalt not murder. If that's a burden to you, come talk to me after service today. I want to pray for you. The Bible says, do not commit adultery. If that's hard for you and that's a burden, come talk to my prayer workers. Amen. The Bible says, put no other God before your God. And have no idols before him. If that's hard for you, come on up. Let's get you saved today. Amen? I'm not Father Tom, but I can introduce you to Father God. Okay? I'm not going to absolve you of your sin by feeding you communion and doing confession, but I'll help you meet 
the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll get born again, and this will be your life. Your born-of-God life, your born-again life, your second life will be one that loves God, loves people, and loves his commands. Amen? Now, going back to Ephesians, that's what we were before Christ dead. Now, this is what we are in Christ alive. Now, read from verse 3 onward all the way down to verse 10, please. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Can I hear an amen? Great job, my brother. How does it feel? You feel all right? You warmed up? Amen. I know it's weird, but you know what? I think you can do great, man. You are doing great. That's the Bible. I believe that. I'm a new creation. I'm now able to live for Jesus because I'm God's handiwork. So the way I look at it is I can do perfect because God made me perfect. I can now do the good works because God worked on me. A lot of people are always talking about how the devil working on them. The devil working on me or the devil did this. I'm wrestling my demons. They sing about it in their songs. From rock and roll to rap, everybody's wrestling demons. I feel sorry for you. I walk on them in Jesus' name. When the devil sees me, he runs the other way. When he sees you, he gets happy. He's coming home. Y'all listening? I don't mean you here, but I'm talking about the world. They're out there arm wrestling the devil. The Bible says that I have power and authority over all these demons in Jesus' name. I can say back to the devil, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, and he must go. Amen. So I don't have now as a Christian any hindrance. I've been born again. My nature's changed. I now have been given a new life, and God has worked on me. So going back to Colossians 1.28, can Paul's desire for him in the church that he pastored, to present people perfect in Christ, as the King James says. Can that be done in Jesus' name? Amen. Read it again. Verse 28, 29, please, out the King James. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Amen. I almost want to like grab you guys all as examples and tell you what it's going to be like on Judgment Day, the way I see it. Maybe I'll just use Jason. Is that okay, Jason? You like being an example. Come on, let's give Jason a hand clap as he comes. So go on down here. Okay, now imagine this on Judgment Day. Imagine this. This is the picture that I think Paul wants us to see. He is painting a picture with his words. So this man, say he's already stood before God on Judgment Day. So he's been deemed a Christian. God says to him, well done and good and faithful serving. So nobody's there except you and God. That's how the Bible describes that moment. Maybe there's people in the stands, but as this brother, as you stand before God, it's just you and him. But at some point, Paul, in his imagery here, says that he's going to then stand next to the disciples of Colossia. Colossia, as some pronounce it, this Roman city, that he's now going to stand beside each one of them, just like how he baptized them in Jesus' name, just like how he, he married them and buried some of them, right? The Bible says he's now going to stand next to them, and he's going to say, Jesus, I want you to see Jason. He's perfect. Isn't that going to be beautiful? That's the Bible right there. That's why we have to honor what we're doing here in church. And I take serious what I do in this man's life because Paul says, I'll be there at some point and I'm going to have to present him. I'm not his savior. I'm not his priest. But doesn't it say that he's going to be there at some point? Doesn't it say that we may present every man perfect in Christ? Those are him and his co-workers. So Lawrence would be there and others there. But now watch this. Go to Ezekiel chapter 33. What's going to happen for some preachers? What's going to happen for some Christians? I appreciate your patience. Scroll on down till we get our hands in blood. Scroll on down. Now look right there. Verse 6. Well, you know what? Start in verse 7, man of God, and read verse 7 and 8 out of Ezekiel 33. Starting in verse 7? 
verse 7 to, through verse 8, please. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. Yes. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. <laughs> That's a different scenario, isn't it? Now imagine on Judgment Day, instead of me saying, hey, here's this man that's perfect in you, Jesus. I'm presenting him to you. Imagine now he's being sent to hell. That's between him and God. But then God says, angels, go get Joe from that paradise hotel that he's staying at. Go get him from his mansion. So I come out from the mansion, you know, I'm all suntan, you know, I got my flip-flops on, I'm coming over there, you know, I got my little rubber ducky, whatever, the little ducky inflatable around, you know, you know, I got, you know what I'm saying, I got the, the suntan lotion, just get this in your mind, I'm on a vacation. And, and then they, what's that? Lay on the lazy river, so he goes, go get him, go get him from heaven's amusement park. And right before he sends him to hell, Jesus says, now look at your hands. Bible says that there will be people on that day that will look at their hands and they'll see the blood of that man's soul. And then when God says to him, depart from me, I never knew you, that person, that watchman, this is Ezekiel here, he's still in heaven. He's going to stay there. He's going to be there. But he had to watch that person go to hell that he didn't warn. You see, I have a choice. I can either warn you and present you perfect before Christ, or I can take my lickings, my discipline from God on judgment day. Everybody say, God have mercy. Thank you, man of God. Now go back to that passage. See if I'm making it up. Go to Colossians 1.28 because there's a W word in there. There's a W word in there in the NIV. Oh, no, it's in the King James too. Read from verse 28, please. Start from verse 28. Whom we preach, warning every man. Thank you. Warning every man. So I have to warn you about this. I have to warn you that on judgment day, you are going to be held to the perfect standard of God. And if you have not been made perfect in Christ as a new creation, made his masterpiece on that day, I can't present you to him perfect, but I will be there as your sentence to hell as a preacher, and then I will see your blood on my hand. Everybody say, not around here. Not around here. I want to warn you, and I want to teach you to be perfect in Christ. So what have you learned in our introduction? You got to be born again. Second Corinthians 5.17, be made a new creation. How do you get that? You get that as we just learned there in Ephesians chapter 2, by grace through faith. Okay, John chapter 3, also on the back of this awesome shirt, on, the, on, you know, on our flyers that we hand out, talks about being born again. All of those things are explaining the same experience. Now are you ready to see how to live it out every day? I've given it to you in different sermons, but now I want to give it to you from one chapter where I think Paul lays it out clearly, and I believe it will encourage every one of you. If you're ready, can I hear you say I'm ready? Amen. Go to Romans chapter 6. Quickly in closing, thank you for your patience. We will not spend a lot of time on this chapter because I believe Paul says it in such a way he makes the preacher's job easy. So if I was the one receiving the book of Romans, and it was my task to read chapter 6 to you, I don't think I would have to add more, any commentary. And 2,000 years later, I think it speaks for itself. So I'll add some commentary as needed. But I want you to see how important it is for you to realize that the life of you going on sinning is not supposed to be your Christian life. Even though you can say, well, I can be forgiven, and, and technically you can. But remember, the commands are supposed to be your blessing, not your burden. So look at how he starts out. Read verse 1 for us, please. Read verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Certainly not. Now notice that that's how a lot of Christians think. Well, Joe, I can be forgiven. Should I just go on sinning so that I can see God's grace come? Because Ephesians chapter 2 says I'm saved by grace. So, man, I mean, what, what can I lose? I can have both. I can have heaven, and I can have a little bit of hell on my way there. I can be a saint, and I can also live as a sinner. Paul says that's not how we're going to do it. Verse 2, please. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? See, that's how Paul thinks. Paul thinks that when we became Christians and we were born again, made new creations, that that also had a negative effect upon our old self as it had a positive effect upon a new self. That's just me choking on my mitt. Listen. Paul believed there was a negative result of being born again and a positive result. The negative result, which is still positive, but there's a, there's a negative side of this, is there is a death. That death is a bad thing. Something has to die, but it turns for our good because the thing that has to die is your old self. 
So yeah, it sounds negative because it's about death. Jesus had to die on the cross. That's negative. It's about death. But what is the positive result out of the old self dying? A new self. A new self. What is the positive out of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus? Or excuse me, what is the positive out of the death and burial of Jesus? The resurrection. I gave it to you in the, in the question. Jesus had to die so that he could rise. Amen? So go ahead and read verse 3, please. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Keep going. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Does everybody see that? So now our baptism is looking towards the example of Christ. Jesus lives, he's buried, he raises again. Your baptism, you come in one way, dry. You're buried in the water, you come up another way, wet. That baptism into Christ is a spiritual thing that we represent in the water. The water doesn't save you, it's Christ that saves you. But the baptism represents what happened in our lives. So when we baptize today 16 people, by God's grace, let's give it up for Jesus, amen? Praise God. And some of you are here in second service. Thank you for letting us have that honor. But what did Christ do in you at that point? Christ took your old self and buried it. Your new self is raised. When Jesus, everybody get this because Jesus is the example here. When Jesus was buried, did he raise up with the same body in the same way that it was buried? No. He raised up in a glorified body, a body that could walk through walls and ascend to heaven and not get air sick and miss the oxygen. Come on, somebody. He could float away on a cloud. But did it have a resemblance to the old body? It did. And for his sake, for us, or for us and his sake, both, both of our sakes, his and, and for us, he kept his marks so that we could see that's him. So when we get to heaven, I don't know how we'll recognize each other in our glorified bodies as we come back to rule and reign with Christ, but there'll be marks upon us in some way. I don't know if there'll be like the scars of that, of that kind of nature, or if it just will be ways that we'll identify each other. The Bible says we'll also have our names written on our heads, so you won't be able to forget anybody's name, you know? So marks of his name and your name are going to be on you. You're going to have tattoos in heaven, by the way, okay? And then Jesus got a tattoo right now. It says on his thigh, the, the word of God, amen? So all of these things, you know, this is going to happen. But what's, what's more important than us trying to understand the, the eschatology of this is the right now. Right now you are to consider your old self dead and your new self alive, alive in Christ. Read verse 4 and then keep on reading, please. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Come on, keep For going. if we have been united with him in death like Amen. his, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection like, the, like verse his. Verse 6, that's, that's right. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, but that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Amen. Can I hear an amen for that? Isn't Paul preaching good? You and I, if we're Christians, we have died to what? Sin. And now we are alive as the Bible is going to teach us for righteousness. Keep going. Verse 8, please. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. That's right. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now everybody get this. If Jesus did not have a physical resurrection, there's no hope for us. Jehovah Witnesses say he was raised only as a spirit. Some cults believe that. They are wrong because of that and many, many other things. But notice Paul's point here. The resurrection of Jesus is for our benefit. Notice, if he's the Son of God in his spirit equal with the Father, didn't he already have life before he was born of a virgin? Yes. So why does he need a body? He doesn't need a body. He's already a spirit, a life-giving spirit. The one who walked among the men of the Bible, the men and women of the Bible. He's already God all by himself. He's already the author of life. Bible says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made by Him. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. I'm now preaching the Word, okay? Is that all right? And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So He's the bearer of life. 
So why is Paul taking all of this time to talk about Jesus going back to having life? Because he's talking about his body. When Jesus put on an earth suit, that was so that body could die. So that when yours died, you could be raised. Because his body was going to be raised. Why does he even interact with the body? Why doesn't he take on the image of a dog? Why does he take on the image of a man? Why doesn't he take on the image of an angel? We'll get into that in Hebrews. He doesn't help angels in that way. But he takes on the image of a man. Because man was originally made in his image. And he's going back to redeem that which has been lost. Adam and Eve and the serpent don't get the last laugh. Read the book of Revelation. That serpent, that dragon gets thrown out to hell with anybody who wants that life. But all those who serve Christ get to be in his presence. Amen? So the Garden of Eden is restored back to the earth. And so what we're learning here is that the reason why he goes through incarnation, which wasn't mentioned here. Paul mentions it in other letters. The reason why Jesus puts on an earth suit like we put on a space suit to go to space, he puts on his earth suit to be down here with us is so that he can die as the lamb slain, as our sacrifice, and then in death be buried and raised again. Why? So that we can be raised again. So if Christ has a body that is raised again, I get his body, the kind that he has, not the body that was handed down to me from Adam and Eve. Amen? Verse 8. Keep going, brother. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Amen. Verse 11 and onward. In the same way... Go up, please. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Come on, give it up for the preacher and for Paul the apostle inspired by the Holy Spirit. I mean, what more can you add to that? My, my, my addition to that is, do you believe it? <laughs> do you want to follow it? That's what I want to do as your pastor, as your humble servant up here. I just want to ask you, do you believe it, and do you want to do it? I used to teach this to people, and it would blow their mind. And they would think that I was making it up or that I was changing Christianity because they hadn't heard it this way. I'm like, this is historic Christianity. This is what we believe. When the Roman Catholic Church came along and added in here, you know, pardons from the Pope, confession with the priest, lighting candles to the saints, they're the one that messed it all up. This is as clear as can be. When a person comes to Christ and is born again, they are now dead to sin. They now have the power to not let sin overcome them. It is true, a sinner can say, the sin in me made me do it. That is true. We could go to James chapter 1. Sin can hinder the will and make you a slave to it. Sin is like an addiction. How many have realized that? That sin is like an addiction. It becomes a master over your flesh. And so it's not just spiritually, like, oh, we're just spiritually saying it. No, they have now found in neuroscience generational curses that if your mama was a certain way and your daddy was a certain way, that the way the brain operates, you can be in that same way. They have found obesity is generational. They have found addictions are generational. How many have heard that kind of talk before from Dr. Phil or Oprah or somebody? They now can see that your genetics play a part in this. Well, the Bible said it from the very beginning. We received a body of death from Adam and Eve. The genetic component of us has been off. But now what do we do? Do we live by our animal instincts merely by the flesh where it controls us by its urges, where the Bible calls this in another passage, where your God is your belly, your appetites. You live by the flesh. Keep it up there, please. Romans chapter 8, the passage we were just on, because it says that this flesh has evil desires all by itself. Will you surrender to those and let damnation be your way or will you call out to God for salvation and choose a new master? That's why the Bible says you cannot serve two masters. You can only serve one. 
That's why Jesus said in John chapter 8, as we went through in the first service, who the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus wants to set us free. Jesus wants to be our master. Amen? But notice this right here. Go to verse 9 now, please. It says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. So if you're a Christian, you're not in that realm. Go ahead now and read it, please, all the way down to, did we already read 9 and 11? Okay, so now read 9 through 11 because he's going to say it again. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Amen. That's the Word of God. We should be excited about that. Amen. Because of the Spirit. We can now have this transfer. That's why when Nicodemus asked, how am I born again? Do I go back into my mother's womb? Jesus said, no, what is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Going back to Paul, presenting everybody perfect in Christ, what kind of way is this done? Is this physical perfection in our own ways, doing yoga, mastering our own issues of life, you know, bettering ourselves on the treadmill of good works? No, it's a coming and dying, a denying of self, and coming to Christ and living the new self. And keeping that cross with you, you know, the Bible says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus is teaching us that you keep that death as a reminder everywhere you go. Because this body will not leave you until you die. So you spiritually remember, this body is my greatest enemy. You know, the the greatest enemy that we have is not the devil. It's the person in the mirror, our flesh, that tempts us and draws us away. The devil can help to to do these wicked things in our lives, but once again, he can't break the law of free will. And so going back to that Romans passage, we see that if the Spirit of God is in us, these are the results. And that's why, brothers and sisters, when I speak to you and I say, if this is not your version of Christianity, you got the dollar store version. You got to come get the Macy's version. Amen? I mean, you can get dollar store candles, but sometimes they're funky, okay? Sometimes they just don't smell right. Sometimes you can get the dollar version of the toothpaste, right? The dollar store, but sometimes it, it just don't taste right, okay? Sometimes you got to go to Walgreens. Sometimes you got to go to Walmart. Sometimes you got to go to Macy's. If you want something that's going to last you a little bit long, you can get a scarf at the dollar store, but it may not last you as, as, as the one at Macy's does. Everybody listening. And see, some people got the dollar store salvation. They tell me, they say, well, Joe, I hear what you're saying, but I don't feel like I've overcome sin. This idea of being perfect before God doesn't feel right. I feel like I'm always getting defeated by my sin. I don't have a victory over it. It feels like my body and my flesh is always working against me. It's my master. Well, what you really have just described to me is that you're lost. That's really what you described to me. You just have basically told me you're a sinner. And I don't say that to be mean because I think a lot of pastors are sinners. And that's why they don't know how to preach to you as saints because they're not right. They don't live right. They do things on the side. They get caught. They restart. They do it over again somewhere else. You know, they don't know how to live holy. I'm saying by God's grace, this is the way I've been living. Now, you might say once again, Joe, have you ever sinned? Yes, I have sinned since being a Christian, but my default is to live for God. So if I do sin, I just repent. Like, I don't make excuses for it. I don't go in ongoing sin. So you'll never meet me at any time in my life or have met me where I had a sin in my life that I had not repented of and had walked away from. You see, it's a difference between sinning and continuing to sin. Go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. There's a big difference between that, and the Bible makes it clear, 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, that those who are born of God do not continue in their sin. They're quick to repent because they don't want sin. It's just like, hey, man, I go outside sometimes and I get my shoes dirty, but I don't keep them dirty. Does everybody hear that? Uh, every now and then I eat something, I get some hot sauce on my shirt, but I don't walk around with hot sauce on my shirt every day. Does everybody get that? Come on, because that's what living for Jesus is like. You may sin as a Christian, but that's not who you are. You're not a filthy sinner. You're not living in it. You're not making excuses for it. You're getting clean and staying clean. And even though you may not be sinless, you sin less. Amen? You sin less because God has changed you. Go ahead and read verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 9 of 1 John, please. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Amen. So anybody that talks to me about them going on sinning and they have no conviction and they think that's okay, obviously you're not born of God. So you need to get born of God. Let's go back to Romans chapter uh, 6 in closing, please. And maybe if you want to start playing the piano, they'll let them know that you're getting cl- <laughs> we're closing. 
two things at once now, piano and reading the Word. Can, you think you can do it, though? Because I don't want to put too much pressure on you, my guy. You don't think you can? Man, I love you for being honest. Let's give it up for this brother right here. Appreciate you. Pastor made him read the whole Bible. That's why we pay you, Pastor. Why are you making that poor kid read the Bible? Scroll on down. Let's get back to where we left off, please, around verse 12. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. I'll try to finish it off. You did an awesome job, so I'll, I'll take it from here. Thank you, man of God. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Okay. I mean, if you said I could do it, I'm going to do that now. As easy as you can type in bighooters.com is as easy as you can put in bible.org. It's the same hands, isn't it? Did, did the devil make you put in bighooters.com? Come on, somebody. I'm asking a question. Did the devil make you go there? No, whose hands went there? Well, then why can't you put in bible.org? I understand why a sinner can't, because they're not born again. They have no power over their urges. The Bible says they can do some physical things that show, uh, give them a false sense of self-discipline. Like sinners can be in shape. And even though you got fat preachers, right? One preacher said, we were told everything was, was sinful. The only thing that we could do was go to church and eat chicken. So what did I become when I got older? I became a fat preacher. Now that we got to break that reputation as pastors, right? Okay, so there's sinners out there. You're in better shape. Some of these sinners are in better shape than most pastors, okay? But the Bible says their physical discipline only is of some advantage. It is not as strong of an advantage as spiritual discipline. So that same person who's in shape, does their yoga, saves their money, is a slave to their money, is a slave to their appearance, is a slave to popular opinion, their Facebook, their Instagram, right? You're tracking with me? They've become a slave to other sins, okay? But the Bible says that a Christian is free from all sin and that you don't have to give your body to it anymore. So as easily as somebody can put in a pornography website, it's as easy on the computer they can put in a Bible website. As easy as you could curse your brother or sister in anger is as easily as your words could form the words of blessing and forgiveness. As easy as it could be to go somewhere else today and shop and stay on your feet, go watch a game that goes to overtime, you're happy about it. It's the same way that you can come to a long church service and be excited about Jesus. We watch three-hour movies now. Now our movies become mini-series. Anybody watch any of these Marvel movies or these shows from Marvel? You used to watch a two-hour movie. Now I'm watching, what, a 12-episode thing of Marvel. 12 hours now. I used to watch a three-hour Lord of the Rings. Now they got a new Lord of the Rings series. How many are they going to go on for, right? But we go to church, pastor, going too long, right? I mean, come on, the same body that sat you on that couch to watch that thing could get you to sit here. So what are you offering your body to? What is Joe? What am I offering my body to? I don't want to offer it to sin. It's my choice. I've been set free from the power of it. Now I should choose God. I should give myself to Jesus. Look at verse 13. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. I have a new life now, don't you? Amen. If you're a Christian, you do. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So offer up all your life, your goals, your dreams. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, you're under grace. Verse 15, what then shall we do? Should we keep sinning because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that who you offer yourselves to, the one, is the one that you become a slave to? The slaves are the ones that are under a master. Whether you are slaves to sin or whether slaves to death, which is slaves to death, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. I butchered that whole scripture. Let me read it again. Forgive me. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to BigHooters.com, you become a slave to it? I was trying to think of examples while I was reading. I'm not good at doing two things at once while I'm talking. But let me make this example. When you offer yourself to your temper, that becomes now your slave master. When, when I offer myself to perversion, perversion becomes my slave master. So the Bible is saying, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to what? Where does sin lead? To death. Even though it has temporary pleasure, it leads to death. Or to obedience, which leads to what? Righteousness. What do you want? Death or righteousness? I want righteousness. 
He leads me, notice this, Psalm 23. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God will take care of us. Even if you don't know how to do it all the time, God's going to show you the right way. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey in your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to what? Righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitation. How many are following Paul? He made it simple for us. Just as you used to offer yourselves as a slave to impurity, to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, which leads to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. How many, when you were a sinner, you didn't think much about being righteous? Right now, and it says, what benefit did you reap at the things you're now ashamed of? Anybody ashamed of the way they used to live? Yeah. Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin, have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And as a result, eternal life. And here's that famous scripture, verse 23. Can we read it together in closing? Highlight it for us, please. One, two, three. For the wages. Let's start again. Let's start. But we got to do better than that. We got to do better than that. You're going to get it for us. There it is. One, two, three. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can we give it up for Jesus today? Would you stand up with me, please? Can you make sure that's the end of the chapter, please, my brother? I believe it is. Can you make sure that's the end of the chapter? Thank you. Just scroll down. It is. You read a chapter of the Bible today. Did that encourage you? Abandon altar workers, would you come, please? What did we learn? That Paul wants to present us perfect in Christ, and I'm here to do that with you. Can you do it on your own? Absolutely not. But you can be made a new creation in Christ. I know that this church is a casual church. I know that we come with a sense of humor to make it lighthearted in a lot of ways. But this is very serious in closing especially for those who were just baptized. Please remember these lessons. You did not perfect yourself. God did. And now that you're saved, you've been baptized into Christ, as the Bible says. Offer your body as a slave to righteousness. Your entire Christian walk, young people, if I could get all the young people's attention in closing, thank you for your patience. Wasn't it cool seeing some of your friends get baptized today? Isn't that awesome seeing Elevate? Take the elevator up to the next level. That's what's up. You guys go into that whole nother level. You're bringing your friends to church. You're seeing them saved. But what do you have to remember as well as a Christian? To offer your bodies to righteousness. Do not give your bodies to the things of this world. Do not become double-minded and try to walk in the world and in church and in the things of God. Do not be lukewarm. You were made for a purpose. And right now, as I look at each one of you, you guys are handsome and beautiful in God's sight. And your bodies and minds are made to gel with the Spirit. But if you don't take that serious, listen to me, young people. Your biggest regrets in life will be the things that you did to yourself and others in sin. And even though God will redeem you, as I have been redeemed from my worst nightmares and the things that I did as a sinner, you will hate to have to fight those memories that your flesh keeps around until this body dies. As a Christian, I still have the memories of when I was a sinner because I didn't serve God as a teenager. I wish I would have. My biggest regret is I didn't do this sooner because right now your mind is fashionable to the things of God. You can take your mind and set it on purity. And I know that the world is telling you that nastiness is going to make you happy. But being naughty is not going to make you happy. Being nasty is not going to make you happy. Just ask yourself this question, young people. Just ask yourself this question. If being nasty and naughty makes them happy, why are they so medicated? Why are they so suicidal? Why is Post Malone addicted to alcohol? Why are they always talking about their addictions and their mental problems? now even naming themselves after little Xan, like Xanax and stuff. What they're telling you, young people, listen to me, what they're telling you is the wages of sin is death. But what did the Bible say? The gift of God is eternal life. Give your mind to God, and you'll never know what deep depression feels like. You'll never know what anxiety or the angst of life feels like because you think it's meaningless. You'll never know what that is. And if you've already experienced, you know what I'm talking about. God is the answer. 
But you'll never know. Look at me, young people. I know I'm being a little bit long on this, but you got to hear my heart for you. You know what they say is the most painful thing, even more than the death of a loved one now? They say is divorce. Because at least when somebody dies, you can have a sense of like closure. Like, man, I love that person. They love me and they died and it was an accident or they died of a sickness and there's nothing you can do. But you want to know why divorce now is mentally traumatic even beyond losing loved ones? Is because there's like that sense of like, we couldn't work it out. We couldn't change it. Am I the problem? Why can't I be loved? Why didn't they stay with me? Why did they cheat on me? Why did I have to cheat on them? Why, why, why? You see that anguish that follows people, you'll never know it. You'll never know the anguish of divorce. You'll never know the anguish of what sin does to your body when you sin against it with addictions. They say right now that more people are addicted to these prescription drugs than ever before. Marijuana is legal. I thought marijuana was the answer. And yet they're addicted to prescription medication. Now we got to make that legal too. We got to make all their drugs legal just to make them feel better about themselves. You know why they're addicted to those medications? It's because medicine was meant to help you when you're hurting. It wasn't supposed to deal with your inner pain. And they now think to themselves, well, I came from the goo through the zoo to you. You know, I'm just an animal. I'm just chemicals. So keep giving me more chemicals. And you look at them and they're not happy. I'm not saying everything the doctor does is bad. But they give them these drugs, they become addicted to it, they sell it to their friends more than ever before. But I thought they were supposed to be happy because now they can have gay clubs at their school. I thought they were supposed to be happy because now they can go to their concerts. Which, which y'all have even as school concerts, dance shows. My school would have kicked me out for it. Even just 20 years ago, are y'all listening to me? What you guys go to in public high school now, what they'll do at the talent show, I would have got kicked out for it. You couldn't do that in the school I grew up in, dancing like that, juking like that, talking like that, kissing on people like that. And they'll do it in public schools. But I thought they were supposed to be happy. I thought it was supposed to work. We took the Bible out. We let kids be kids. We now let them be transgender. And yet they're still all suicidal. The rates are sky high in all of these demographics. You know why young people? It's because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. I want to present you perfect before Christ on Judgment Day. I want to come next to you because I'm going to probably have passed away. You'll be at my funeral if should the Lord tarry, and then you get to live long enough. And I'm going to come back and haunt you. No, I'm kidding. I'm going to be there on Judgment Day. I'm going to, we don't believe in ghosts, just demons. Cast them out in Jesus' name. That's not your grandma. That's a demon. Cast it out and see how, how grandma screams. You ain't never heard grandma scream like that. Say in Jesus' name, I rebuke and see what happens to grandma. I'm going to be there on Judgment Day. Imagine this, 35, 40, 45-year-old, 50-year-old, you know, you might live a long life too. Jesus might be not coming back for a while, but whatever age you are, you're going to be like an adult, like this image that I have. And I've already passed away, so I never saw them go through all that. But on that judgment day, I want to be there and say, man, yeah, I remember. I remember when they were teenagers. Jesus, I told them. I warned them. I teached. I taught them. Did they listen? That's going to be a great day. And the Lord say, oh, yeah, they listen. Now present them to me. Just like how you see a father walk down the bride. I'm going to walk you up to Jesus in, in his name. And I'm going to say, look at this. These are your sons and daughters, Lord. And all of us, we want to see you make it. We don't want to see you bear the scars that we bear because of sin. You hear these testimonies. How many people today testified about suicide in our baptismal tank? What, three, four, five, testify? We want to see you make it. I want, it. I want your life, young people, to be a trophy of God's grace so that if you should live to be 80, you can tell that generation that comes after you, oh, man, I lived in crazy times. Tell us, Grandpa, I lived in times when we killed our own children. Oh, I'm glad we don't do that anymore. I mean, we talk about that now. People could say that from back, even from when I was growing up. There were people around from slavery times. I remember when my grandpa was a slave. A slave. That's what they would tell me, right? Now we look back at that. That's crazy. Somebody owned another person. Should the Lord tarry, I want you as 80 years old talking to your grandkids going, yeah, there used to be a time they could kill their own children in our country. But me, your mother, 
your brother, your uncle, you know, all these people that you now know as your older people. We went and changed the world. We went and changed the world. We went and made life great again. We made adoption great again. Oh, Grandpa, tell me more. Tell me. Oh, yeah, it was crazy then. We took our medical science and started chopping off good parts of bodies and putting them in the wrong parts of other bodies. Grandpa, that sounds like Mr. Potato Head. Yeah, we were doing that to each other. We were cutting off the working parts and putting them on parts that don't work. Oh, you mean people didn't know who they were? No, they didn't know who they were. They cut themselves up. They were so desperate to know who they were. But what happened, Grandpa? Oh, we went out and told them that Jesus made them in his image, male and female. And we taught them that the marriage is blessed. And when God joins together, nobody tears apart. And that out of blessed marriages come blessed families. That's why now you can walk down Cicero and Ohio Street at 10 o'clock at night and you're not scared anymore. Oh, you mean walking down there used to be scary? Oh, yeah, yeah. They used to call it the West Side. You couldn't walk down there at 10 o'clock at night unless you were tricking or buying something. Oh, yeah, but Dad, I walk down there all the time. I just rode down my, my bike at 10 o'clock down Cicero and, and Grand I, with no problem. No gangs, nothing. It was like that, Dad. Like, we, we hear people... That could, this was before my time, but I'm sure when somebody heard this, oh yeah, we used to shoot each other in the middle of the street like Wild West Cowboys. Oh, Grandpa, you used to do that. I can't wait till a generation raises up. It says they used to kill each other. They used to be afraid of each other. You couldn't go out at night, but now the streets are calm. Doors are unlocked. Families sit on porches. Hallelujah. The community's been changed. I want each one of you young people to be able to grow up and say, yes, I saw that the wages of sin is death, but I also got to see that the gift of God was eternal life. You mean, Dad, the, the sports stars of that time used to have sex like Dennis Rodman and these other playboys, but now they, they live holy and they set examples for teenagers and they wait till marriage? Oh, yeah, when I grew up, the sports stars were like this, but now they're like this. Why does everything in our culture have to go backwards? Why can't we go back to Chubby Checker and the twist? Why do we have to go to WAP? Can't, can't somebody put on the brakes? Come on, somebody. Can't we go back to when you danced with somebody, you dressed like you wanted to impress, and you stayed far away from them because you didn't want to be perverse and get in trouble with their parents? Can't we make twerking a thing that looks like exactly like what it is, disgusting, and go back to the things that are pure? But it takes a generation to say, I don't want death anymore. I don't want sin anymore. I don't want the curse anymore. I want to choose to obey God. I want to choose to be pure and holy. I want to choose to do something different in this generation. I'm going to choose the things of God that build up a society because the Bible says sin is a disgrace to any people, but those who keep the law of the Lord will be blessed like a tree planted by the streams of water which yield their fruit in season. Amen. I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. These prayer workers will be here. But as we get ready to go, would you make sure that you're choosing life today and that you're going to live for Jesus? Father, I thank you for this awesome service. I thank you, Lord, that we've seen that there's a choice between life and death. You gave it to us. But I pray every person here will choose life. If you're here and you're in an attitude of prayer with me and you haven't done that yet, repent of your sins and confess Jesus as Lord. Ask him to change you and be your master. Those who have already done that, would you raise your hands and say, Jesus, I thank you. You've saved me. And I surrender my body, my mind, my soul to your plan. I offer my life to you. Oh, God, use me however you find fit for your glory. Use me on my job. Use me in my neighborhood. I want to be an instrument of righteousness. Come on, would you sing that out prophetically, Des? Make me an instrument of righteousness for the glory of my God. Come on, hands raised. I want to be an instrument of righteousness. Before anybody prays for you, would you talk to the Lord on your own today? Thank you for your patience. But there's more for us before we go. I want to be an instrument of righteousness for the glory of God. That's what I want to be. Make me an instrument of righteousness.
Oh God, if you can use anyone, you can use me. You've used Moses, he was a murderer. You used Peter, he was a betrayer. You used David, he was an adulterer. You used Abraham, he was a liar. You used Gideon, he was a coward. Oh God, if you can use Paul, he was a heretic. God, you can use anybody. You can use anybody. You can use me, Jesus. I know that you can. Hallelujah. I refuse to be the same. I refuse to leave this world the same. If I'm here, we're changing together. Me and the world I live in. In me and through me, change will come. Oh, thank you, Jesus. In me and through me, change will come. In the name of Jesus. I don't see culture going backwards. We're going forwards with God. Father, would you use us to see revival come? In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Can you bless him? God bless you, second service. I hope that you had a great time. Would you slap somebody high five and say you're an instrument of righteousness? As you prepare to go, feel free to come up for prayer. Otherwise, fellowship and the band will worship. Thank you, Lawrence. You did great.